only when you're in control of your emotions rather than they controlling you that you're in a position to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. As human beings, we're emotional creatures. Uh, we'd like to think we're logical, and to a certain extent we are, but mostly we're emotion-driven. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. We're fortunate today to be joined by Bob Berg. Bob Berg is an international seminar speaker, best-selling author, relationship marketing authority, free marketing advocate, lover of liberty and seeker of wisdom. Bob's latest book is Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jared. Great to be with you. Bob, what is the best concert that you have ever been to? Well, actually, I've only been to a few in my life, believe it or not, and uh, they were in, when I was in the high school, and this will show you my age, I guess, but I went, in my junior year, I went to see Chicago at the Boston Garden, Uh, Yeah, and then actually the year after that, I saw Jefferson Starship, and their opening act was a then little-known group called Fleetwood Mac. Wow. That must have been a good show. It was great. Uh, do you have a favorite song by Fleetwood Mac? Oh, gosh. You know something? I can just listen to anything Stevie Nicks sings, and it just uh, I enjoy it very much. <laughs> Understandable. Let's do true or false. And the first one is adversaries into allies is a parable. Uh, false. <laughs> false. Okay. Do you care to elaborate on that? Uh, well, just that, you know, The Go-Giver was a parable co-authored with John David Mann, who's a terrific storyteller. So right. if, if Adversaries and the Allies was going to be a parable, I would definitely have, have uh, pleaded with John David Mann to uh, write it would be the, the lead storyteller. But no, this is is much more of a how-to book. And uh, well it, there's a lot of stories within it, you know, true stories of, of things that happened in how-to, but it is a how-to book. Okay. okay. Let's do the next true or false. Utilizing tact and empathy can get you out of a traffic ticket. True. <laughs> That's got to be a good story. Yeah. The interesting thing is that it's all built on really respecting the police officer and being able to empathize with their plight. And uh, so there's no manipulation. In fact, I learned the first part of how to do it from a former state trooper. And I've had more people over the years, as I've shared this with them, write to me to tell me that, you know, that this one thing has saved them a lot of money. And I can tell you firsthand that it works. Now, it won't work every time. It will work sure. most of the time. But I'll tell you one thing. One way it won't work is if someone's really driving to endanger or, you know, dri- driving dangerously or if they're inebriated or something. No, it's not going to work then. But it will often work if you're maybe going eh, a little over the speed limit or didn't come to that complete stop. So it's not public enemy crime number one, but still usually ticket worthy. Okay, so let's just go there for a second. So the officer comes up to the window. What happens next? Well, we actually start even before that. And when, as soon as you see the uh, the flashing blues or you hear the siren, you want to, of course, pull over where it's safe. And when you once you bring the car to a stop, if it's at night, you want to make sure to turn the inside car lights on. And just put your hands on the 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock position of the wheel and stay perfectly still while the officer approaches the vehicle. Why? What you're doing is you're empathizing with them, you're respecting them, you're communicating to them that, hey, I know that while you're out protecting and serving the public, 
the most dangerous part of your job is when you're approaching a vehicle that you've stopped. So you're making their life a lot easier. You're making them feel safe by putting the inside light on so they can see you and by staying perfectly still. So right there, you've created the premise of the interaction as one that is rather than adversarial, one that is of, of allies. Now, when the officer greets you, obviously you greet with respect. And when he or she asks if you were if you realize you were going X miles an hour in a so-and-so limit, uh, you would say yes. You, you say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I do realize I was going that speed, I apologize. Now, if you really didn't know before you heard the siren, you can honestly say this, you'd say, you know, I didn't realize that until I, I heard your siren, I immediately looked down and you're absolutely right, I was going that speed, I apologize. So what you've done right there is aside from continuing to show respect, you've done something that most people don't do. You told the truth. <laughs> They've mm -hmm. heard pretty much every lie that is out there, and rather than you doing that, you told the truth. Now, and sometimes right there, that's enough to have them say, well, just make sure you're careful, so forth. But let's say you need to take this a step further. You might say, uh, you know, officer, again, you're absolutely correct, and I was wrong. This isn't something I usually do, and I'm wondering if it would be appropriate if I could possibly get off with a warning this time. Now, what you've done is, again, you've shown respect, you've framed it correctly, you've also given the officer an out or a back door. You've said, if appropriate. So you haven't tried to back him into or her into a corner, but rather you've given them the respect of the out or the back door. Uh, Bird's Law of the Out or Back Door says the bigger the out or back door you give someone to take, the less they'll feel the need to take it. So you're doing everything right so far, and again, you've probably set yourself up for the officer just to give you a warning, but if you need to take it a step further, you've used what I call the eight key words that will practically always move someone to your side of the issue, and that is to simply say, you know, if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. If you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. Again, respect, you've let them know that while you certainly hope they can and while it would be appreciated if they did, that they are of more value than the outcome itself and you're willing to accept whatever their decision is. By doing all of that, you've just given yourself the very, very best chance of getting out of a ticket. Wow, that's a great recipe. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Let's do blank versus blank. I'm going to give you two options, and if you just pick which one you prefer, maybe a short reason why. And the first one is pets. Dogs versus stray cats. I would always go with dogs because I, you know, I'm, well, I'm an animal fanatic. I love all animals. I'm a dog lover and, and have, um, growing up, always had dogs. Right now, I have a, a foster dog from the, uh, our local furry friends where I, I'm on the uh, board of directors. I did have a stray cat for a while, and it was my first experience being a, a cat human. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It, I love all animals, but especially dogs. But I will say that I got a lot more respect for cats after my experience with Liberty the Cat. Some of our listeners are interested in writing their own book. So this next blank versus blank is about writing a book. Do you prefer short chapters versus long chapters? Oh, short, sure. Absolutely. And why is that? Because, first of all, it's just a framed as easier for the reader. And your reader is your customer. And mm -hmm. just like a blog post, the shorter, the better. People's attention span is not what it once was. And so it, it needs to be something that's not intimidating to them. And short chapters, you know, when I read a book, I, that's, if the chapters are short, I feel it's a lot more doable if I don't necessarily have a lot of time. 
But it isn't just that it's about me, of course. I'm just one consumer. If I was the only one, I'd say sure. But numerous uh, you know, surveys and conversations and, and so forth have shown that shorter is better. Now, you've got, the information still got to be there, of course, and it's, at all, it's often a lot more difficult to write something short than it is long. If you ever read any of Seth Godin's blogs, Wonder, aside from him being just a marketing genius, one reason I love watching, looking at his blogs, I'm just amazed that the man can fit such brilliant into sometimes one or two paragraphs. And I know with me, I struggle every time trying to make my blogs as short as possible. You know, it always reminds me of that, uh, not a joke, it was a saying, and I, I can't remember who said it, and it's credited to different people, but I should know who actually said it. But he said, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. <laughs> Bob, which book has had a greater impact on you? Influence by Robert Caldini versus How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Oh, I wish that was an either or. Uh, They're both so brilliant. I'd say, in a sense, if I had to take one or the other, it would be Carnegie's. Not because Dr. Caldini's book is any less brilliant or any less helpful. I think that Carnegie's book is sort of a a for-everyone book that it's very readable and very easy. You wouldn't have to study it in order to really be able to get it. Mm -hmm. Whereas Dr. Cialdini's is by design, it has six very key principles. Each one, each principle is very, very well researched. And you need to to actively think about how to apply each one. So it's not a matter of which one's a a better book or so forth. They're both brilliant. But yeah, I'd have to say Carnegie's is a a little bit more, could be used by pretty much by anyone without too much work. The last blank versus blank, influencing others, push versus pull. Oh, definitely pull. Influencers don't push. People don't say, wow, that Jared, he is so influential. He has a lot of push people. (laughs) They'd say he has a lot of pull because that's really what influence is. It's pull. Influence is really, it's an attraction. Great influencers attract people to themselves and, and to their ideas. Let's do finish this sentence. The first one is influence is important because... Unless you can move people to the desired and appropriate action, attaining success in in pretty much any area of importance in your life is going to be very hard to come by. The next finish this sentence, if you want to improve your people skills. I'd say make a study of people skills. Not just my book, Dale Carnegie's book, Dr. Cialdini's book, Dave Lacani's books. Gosh, there's there's so many great, great books out there on people skills. To me, anything you want to get better at, make a study of it. <laughs> the last finish this sentence, the one question you can ask that is pretty much guaranteed to keep a potential misunderstanding from ever actually taking place is... How would you define so-and-so, whatever the word is. Or when you say as soon as possible, is there a specific date you had in mind? In other words, you make sure that a word or a term is not left to be defined differently by different people who come at it from a different belief system. Bob, I've heard you say that adversaries and allies is your most important work so far. Why is that? Well, I think most people now understand that as important as technical skills are, as important as talent is, 
as important as many great, you know, I really, you can have practically all the positive success traits working for you. You can be very talented and of extremely high character. You can be ambitious, kind, charitable, hardworking, thrifty, energetic, have a knack for numbers, a head for business. You can be even tempered and creative and, and much, much more, Jared. All that's great. But without people skills, it's hard to really realize your full potential. I would put it this way. We all know people who, again, they're talented and have many of those great skills and traits, and they achieve some very legitimate success. Absolutely. Uh, and yet there's other people who are maybe about as talented uh, or maybe even a little less so, and they just seem to fly right by, whether it's in, in an entrepreneurial venture, whether it's in sales, whether it's working for somebody else, whether it's getting funding, whether it's just... They seem to have that way of having people on their side. They seem to be able to gain commitment from people, willing commitment from people. These are the people with people skills. You know, when you think of it, every day, your success, your peace of mind, perhaps even happiness, depends upon you dealing successfully with other people. And that comes down to people skills. People with good people skills are better liked, they're more respected. And they're able to make a much bigger and positive difference in their world. You mentioned technical skills. What do you say to that listener who has a boss with the technical skills but unfortunately lacks the people skills? I mean, what advice do you offer to them who they want to starve the doubts and handle those working relationships the right way? Well, remember, whenever you're looking to influence someone, it's really not about you. It's about them. So you've got to tap into if it's a boss who doesn't have these skills and it's a boss that you're needing to influence in a certain way, you need to tie together what you want to see happen with what your boss wants to see happen. It's possible that the listeners are going to pick up your book, they'll start reading it, and then some of them may cringe because they're going to have memories of where they failed in certain areas. So what encouragement do you offer to those people? Well, I think that's a good thing in a sense. I have a mm -hmm. people who say, gosh, I wish I read your book you know, 30 years ago. Uh, well, of course, you know, I didn't necessarily know these things 30 years ago. And so everything happens in its proper time. But sure. But I also, they'll notice when they read the book that I tell a lot of these stories on myself. And I do that because I do want to encourage them. I want them to see a couple of things, that I made these same mistakes. You've made these mistakes. Not you, Jared, but the person reading. And that the big difference is, do we know how to handle it now? Do we know how to handle it in the future? And if we do, it means we're equipped to, to have really great success, to uh, have a lot more fun, to have a lot less stress in our life, and to have a much more profitable business. Bob, you laid out the five principles of ultimate influence. And if you're willing, I'd just like to just touch on each of these and, and just maybe go over a little bit. Uh, the first one, of course, being control your own emotions. Well, that's really where it all begins because it's only when you're in control of your emotions rather than they controlling you that you're in a position to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. As human beings, we're emotional creatures. Uh, we'd like to think we're logical, and to a certain extent we are, but mostly we're emotion-driven. And not only does this have to do with, with our buying habits and the decisions we make, but it also has to do with how we let people sometimes intentionally or unintentionally push our buttons and, and cause us to be angry or mad or sad or resentful or defensive or what have you. So when these emotions control you, you're not in a position to be able to do the right things that are going to get the results you want. So I'm not in any way diminishing the importance of emotions. Emotions are a great part of life. It's, they're part of what make life worthwhile. But as Dondi Scumacci, one of my great mentors and friends says, 
by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. The next principle is understand the clash of belief systems. This is simply realizing that people see the world from their own unique lens. A belief is the truth as we understand the truth to be, but that doesn't mean it's the truth. It means it's our truth. And people's belief systems are really, in a sense, their operating systems. They're developed very young. They're pretty much set by the time we're little more than toddlers. And they're a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television, movies, cultural mores, and you know, just everything we touch, taste, see, hear, smell, what have you. And most people live their lives taking action, thinking thoughts, saying things, taking actions based on this unconscious set of beliefs. They're run by an operating system they're not even aware that they're run by. Well, not only does this hold for us, Jared, but it holds for the other person with whom we're about to have this perhaps difficult situation. They're run by their belief system that they're not aware of. To make it worse, as human beings, we tend to believe that everybody else sees the world through the same lens we see it. How could it be any different? After all, it's the only thing we know. This is why you hear people make statements such as, oh, everybody feels that way. Nobody likes that. Or maybe you've said yourself, I would never treat someone that way. Well, no, you wouldn't because that's not congruent with your belief system, but other people would because it is congruent with theirs. So what we need to do is when we're in a, a difficult situation, potentially difficult situation with someone, it's not that we need to understand their belief system. They probably don't really understand their belief system, and we don't have 20 years to try to figure it out. What we simply need to do is understand that their belief system is probably a lot different from our belief system. And as long as we understand that, now we've created the environment where we can work effectively within that in order to create the results we want. So the next step would be acknowledge their ego. Sure. It's understanding that if they are acting in a way that's really not nice or not kind or not helpful or not win-win or not, you know, whatever it is, not logical, what have you. If they're being easily offended or if they're offending you or if, what have you, there's a good chance that their ego is controlling the situation. And, of course, the ego is very connected to the emotions. One triggers the other. And so we need to make sure that we acknowledge their ego. I don't mean acknowledge it by saying, hey, buddy, your ego have the opposite result. But simply by acknowledging it in our own mind that their ego is taking control of them and that's going to help us work more effectively. What if the scenario is someone's being just blatantly rude or disrespectful to you? I mean, at what point do you acknowledge their ego and you, you try to be polite, but at the same time you need to say, okay, you've drawn a line? I mean, is that ever appropriate? Well, it depends on the situation. Uh, sure. there's, there's times you just walk away from a situation and you're not going to do You know, nobody should have to take abuse. But let's say a, a disgruntled customer calls and, you know, they kind of – tear into you on the phone and they're complaining about this and that and it might be and you don't even know why they're complaining what the, the issue is it might be the type of thing where you let them finish and then you say uh you know i'm i'm wondering if i owe you an apology did i say or do something to offend you and a lot of times that's going to really shift the frame right there it's going to be a pattern interrupt and they're going to say oh uh, well no i'm sorry i was just upset about so and so so and so and then it might be well I've, yeah i've had those times myself what can i do to help 
Okay. <laughs> then there's other times that somebody might be showing you disrespect in a buying situation or a negotiation. You might have to say to the person, you know, I appreciate your passion and I like the idea that we might be able to work together, but I'm feeling uncomfortable. This is an I message. Instead of saying you're being rude, what you say is I'm feeling uncomfortable and that I don't feel I'm really being spoken to with the kind of mutual respect that I would like. And then you've let this person know in a very nice way without painting them into a corner that the way they're talking to you isn't acceptable. The fourth principle is set the proper frame. A frame is simply a, a foundation. It's the foundation from which everything else evolves. And it's very important because when the proper frame is set, pretty much everything else is, is going to be great. I use the example in the book about a little boy who was probably about two and a half years old who was walking around a Dunkin' Donuts restaurant store uh, that I was in. And as he was walking toward his parents, he fell on the floor. And he didn't fall hard, but you could tell by the look on his face that it was definitely a shock, that he intuitively knew that wasn't supposed to happen. And he immediately looked at his mom and dad for their interpretation of the event. <laughs> you know, what happened happened, but what he was looking for was to see what happens next. And uh, if the parents had gotten upset, well, the little boy probably would have gotten upset, but the parents just handled it beautifully. They smiled and they applauded and they said, oh, that looks like so much fun. What a good trick. And he immediately started to laugh. Well, what the parents did is they set a very productive frame from which he could operate. And it's the same thing when we face any situation that you know could be difficult. Now, first of all, it's, it's, sometimes it's easy to set the frame neutral. You can set a frame from neutral by simply a great smile. I always say in the book, a smile is the ultimate positive frame setter. It's almost like magic when you greet someone with, from the inside out, genuine smile and, and a hello. It's almost impossible for them to not like you. But there's also times where you've got to be able to reset the other person's frame. You know, the other person's being a bit difficult to get along with. Let's say you're, you're trying to get a, a, an early check-in into a, into a uh, hotel and the person at the desk tells you, well, it's just against the rules, it's got to be at this time and so forth. And, and so you want to speak to the manager because you know that this person's not really equipped to be able to help you. And so you politely ask if you could speak with the manager. And he goes in and you know, hopefully he says a nice customer, but he might just say, hey, a customer has a problem. He actually wants to get in early, right? And the manager who faces this quite a bit and he's used to being yelled at, so he goes out in a defensive frame with his game face on, but Instead, what you do is you smile, you put your hand out, you take a step toward him to shake hands and you say, you know, hi, Mr. Smith, Bob Berg, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to uh, see me. I know you're very, very busy. Well, what you've done is you've totally just reset his frame. So now it's a matter, again, you're not adversaries, it's just two good people, a customer and the business wanting to find a good outcome. And you're the type of person that people like him they want to please because they want people like you as customers. The fifth and final principle is communicate with tact and empathy. Yeah, tact. My dad has always defined tact as the language of strength. And I so agree with that. Uh, tact is really a way of allowing you to correct someone, critique someone, even constructively criticize someone, if I may be so politically incorrect. And it's not that we ever want to do that, Jared, but we're talking about the real world, not a fantasy world. 
And there are times we need to be able to teach someone a different way of doing something, whether it's an employer who paid too much on a negotiable product, someone who gave uh, wrong information to a customer, or even someone at home who's speaking disrespectfully to their sibling. We need to be able to do this in a way that not only is that person not going to be defensive and resistant to us and to our thoughts, but they're going to be open and much more likely to be accepting of them. That's what tact and empathy allows us to do. One of the most difficult things we as human beings have to do sometimes is to tell someone no, and that can be difficult. Why is that, and how do we overcome that? Well, I think it can be difficult because as people, generally speaking, we, we like to be liked, and we like to come through for people. And when we can, that's, and when we should say yes, well, that's fine. We should if we want to, if it aligns with our values. The key is being able to say no when you want to say no so that you can say yes to the things you want to say yes to. We all have a limitation both in time as well as energy and expertise, and so we've got to know when it's appropriate to say no. The challenge is that most people have been taught to say no in a way that, you know, either way is, I believe, counterproductive. You hear people teach one way, and that is, it's okay to just say no, or they'll say no is a complete sentence. And I, I see that at a seminar, and I see people's heads all nodding in empowered agreement. And I'm thinking, is that really what you're going to do when someone asks you to do something that's not out of line? Maybe they ask you to serve on a committee that you just don't want to serve on for whatever reason. You don't feel you have time, energy, passion, desire, knowledge, what have you. Are you really going to just say, no, I don't want to? Well, of course not. First of all, it's rude. Secondly, you're taking a potential ally and turning them into a potential adversary. You're also cutting off any future opportunity to do something with them, if that's something you might desire. But the biggest reason for not doing that is because it's not congruent with your desire to treat people kindly and with respect. So no, I don't think that's an appropriate way to do it. The other way people do it is they try to make an excuse in order to not hurt the other person's feelings and save themselves from having to be honest, (laughs) which is too bad. So they'll say something like, well, I would but I don't have the time. And the problem with that is is twofold. One is you do have the time. What you don't have is the desire. Because if you really wanted to do it, you'd make the time. So you kind of know you're fibbing to yourself. Well, okay, that's one thing. But here's the other thing. This person has heard it from others, and they know how to overcome that objection to put it into the sales vernacular. So they are going to explain to you probably very persuasively why time is not an issue. And so now you're left with two choices. You either have to fess up and admit that you are really just fibbing because you don't want to do it. So you're basically admitting you're lying, which is going to make them feel badly and not respect you. And you're going to not feel good about yourself. Or in order to save face, you've got to accept this committee position that you really don't want to. And you're going to resent that. And you know, again, there's, there's no need to, to do something you truly don't want to do in this case. So there's a better way to do it. And it's very, very simple. And for those people who have trouble saying no, this is going to be a life changer. It's very easy. When the person asks you, you simply say, thank you so much. While it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked. Or you could simply say, thank you. While it's not something I'd like to do, please know how grateful I am to be asked. You know, I like to say, please know how honored I am to be asked. What you've done is you very politely, non-defensively, without making an excuse and giving them something to grab onto, 
you just politely let them know that it's not something you choose to do, but you're honored to have been asked. So it's not about them, it's about you, and you're very grateful. And so, you know, it's, it's just there's nothing for them to grab onto. It's a, just a great way. Now, if someone thinks, well, okay, Bob, that's fine, but what about when the person says, oh, but come on, we really need you, blah, 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 blah. All you do, again, with no defensiveness, only kindness, if, if anything, kind energy, you simply say, ah, oh, I appreciate that. I'd rather not. But again, thank you so much for asking. Boom. You do that a couple of times and you will never have a problem again with saying no. Would you be willing to share the best place for the listeners to connect with you online, pick up their copy of Adversaries and Allies, and learn more about the Go-Givers International Member Community? Uh, sure. Really, the best thing to do is to go to Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can do a couple of things. They can, on the right-hand side, there's a graphic of the book, Adversaries and Allies. If they'll click on that, it will take them to a page where they can get chapter one for free to see if they like it. Then they can click through to Amazon or, or they can go to their local bookseller, of course. They can, while they're on the page, subscribe from, to my Influence and Success Insights. They can check out my blog. And as you were kind enough to mention, they can check out our Go-Givers International Membership Community. And this is just a blast. It is a lot of fun. We equip people to learn how to really communicate their value to the marketplace and be able to have a lot more fun and make a lot more money. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Just to really understand that when it comes right down to it, people are going to do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So we've really got to make sure that we understand that when it comes to influence, it isn't about us. It's about them. It's asking ourselves the question, how does what I want that, that person to do, how does that align with their wants, their needs, their desires, their goals, their values? Bob, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Best wishes to you and your family and your business. Jared, likewise. Say no when you want to say no so that you can say yes to the things you want to say yes to. We all have a limitation both in time as well as energy and expertise. And so we've got to know when it's appropriate to say no.